Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? My name is Gary. I want to welcome everybody out today on this cold morning. We've been doing our own version of March Madness here. We've had a little informal basketball tournament. And uh, the, the, the bracket play was done this weekend. And in two weeks, we are having the final four. But anyway, with regards to the basketball, we've been talking about, um, been talking about a series called Beyond the Baseline. And uh, we've talked the last three weeks. We've just taken some, some things that are in basketball, some terms, some way it's played, and, and then talking about uh, <clears throat> making, a, making a connection with our efforts to follow Jesus. An uh, example of that was two weeks ago when Tim talked about um, the importance of teammates and how we need to be on a team and we need to have teammates and need to learn to play as a team. And the Bible is very clear that we're not in this struggle alone. We need each other. Last week, I got to talk about timeouts. And, you know, we talked about the significance of timeouts in, in basketball. And we also talked about the significance of why it's important for us to every now and then just hit pause on our lives. You know, step back from the chaos and evaluate what's going on. Okay? Most of the chaos, I'm a firm believer that most of the chaos in our life, we choose. Okay? We, we accept. We don't have to do all the things we do. And uh, we need to learn to control our lives instead of letting them control us. And uh, this week, Alan actually came up with a topic. In case you didn't know it, Alan's not here. And uh, he pulled his quadricep yesterday playing basketball. If you can imagine. Oh, that's right. Big groan for Alan. He'll listen to this. So big groan. That's what happens when 50-something-year-old men decide to play basketball. That's why I did not. Um, but anyway, Alan came up with this topic of playing well on the road. As most of you know, if you follow sports at all, there is something known as the home field advantage. Are you all familiar with this? You know, they talk about it in baseball, they talk about it in football, and they really talk about it in basketball. And it is believed to be the most significant in basketball, though when you go look at actual statistics, that is heavily disputed. To give you an example, you know, home field advantage in baseball, is that important? Is it important in the World Series? Did you know that nine of the last 11 World Series champions had the home field advantage? And all but two of them didn't need it. Because they won a game on the road. It was like, did it matter or not? They looked at the statistics, and in baseball, it seems to be a rather significant factor. They said it makes a difference. It seems to mean that they win, the home team wins one extra game out of every 11 or 12. It's not like the difference between day and night, but it's there. You know, in some sports, uh, like football, and some basketball, I guess, it, the location of the team makes a difference. You know, if you're playing in Mile High Stadium in Denver, and you're playing basketball, and you're not used to that thin air up there, guess what? You're at a disadvantage. And the home team that plays there, they're at an advantage. And likewise, if you're the Miami Dolphins and you have to play the Super Bowl in Green Bay and it's snowing and zero degrees, you're at a disadvantage. While the Green Bay Packers, they practice there. I was told that Brett Farr, when he practiced there, he would take the footballs. And he would do this during practice so his guys would be used to it. And the opposing teams wouldn't. He'd take the footballs and put them in snow. So they would be harder. His guys would get used to catching the hard ball and the defenders it'd bounce off of. You know, that's an advantage to pl- for them. And guys, in basketball, there's, there's the same thing. As I did my research, they really narrowed it down to, to about two things and may, with maybe a third. The one is the fans, the home fans. That is a big difference. I encourage you, if you like college basketball and have never been to a college basketball game, you need to go to a college basketball game. Because it is crazy. I mean, when you get 20,000 college students, okay, at the, the, most know the Duke, who's been a, a national contender every year for the last 30 years, it seems like. Uh, their, their arena, I believe, is called the Camden Arena. And they have a section called the Camden Crazies. 
You know, and the students, you know, go take their shirts off and paint things on their chest and paint their faces. And, you know, they sit behind the fans. And when the, when the visiting team's shooting free throws, you know, they got the wiggle noodles. They're all wiggling. Or they got the, the spinny things with the, with the funnel on them and, and trying to distract them. And then when their team, play, when their guys shoot the ball, it's quiet. You know, and that's, what, that's one of the reasons is, is because of the fans. The other is because of just the comfort level. This is where they're familiar with. Okay? They didn't have to travel across the country or stay in a motel. They're just comfortable. They slept in their own beds last night or the night before. They're getting up and going to their beds tonight. They'll be there in 10 minutes after the game. They're familiar with the surroundings. They're familiar with the crowd. In some situations, they're familiar with the referees. And, and it, it's just a comfort level. And guys, those are the two biggest factors that they say lead to a home court advantage in basketball. Now, what has this got to do with us? Now, does I ask the question? I had to ask that question. Is there such a thing as a home court advantage with Christians? Is there a home court advantage with churches? And real quick, yes, there is. It exists. It is real. When you talk about the home court advantage, and then you have to ask yourselves, what does the home court advantage look like? What would it look like? And these these are just my thoughts on a home court advantage. The home court advantage for, for churches or for Christians might be, you know, you might consider this, the building your home court. So what does that mean? That means following Jesus is easier right here. There's an advantage for me following Jesus when I'm here than there is other places. Now what does that mean? Well, I, I, I chose to focus in on two areas. One is evangelism, how well we share Jesus. And the other is how well we follow Jesus or how well do we obey Jesus. And what, when a home, home court advantage with, with Christians or with churches, what's that mean? It's more easily, to ter- people, more people choose to follow Jesus here than they do outside of these walls. That's what a home court advantage will look like for a church. Is that more people will choose to follow Jesus as a result of their efforts at their building than they do outside of their building. Or maybe it's that you've, you know, you, have you, years, for years now they've talked about the doorknob or the handle on the door at a church has missed magical powers. Did you know that? Transformation, transformative powers. You know, and you hear the story of the, the husband and wife, and they're coming to church, and they got the little kids in the back, and the kids are acting up, and the husband and wife are, are having a little little disagreement, a little tiff about something, and you know everything. It's a rather chaotic scene, and the minute they grab the handle of the church building, how you doing, brother? Isn't it great to be alive? It's another another day living for the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, the minute they get back in the car, it goes back to normal. And you, and you know, guys, that can cover a lot of things. Is it easier to follow Jesus? Is it easy to obey Jesus in a small group of Christians? You know, when you're with other people who are following Jesus than it is when you're at work? That's what it, I think it looks like when we talk about a home court advantage. It is real. It exists. The question is, should it? Should it? You see, because we talk about the home court advantage in basketball, you know, and I mentioned Duke a while ago, and they've been favorites for years to go into it. They, I don't believe they're at a disadvantage very much when they go on the road because they've learned to play on the road. And the question is, should we be at a disadvantage when we're not at this building or when we're not around other Christians? Should we be at a disadvantage? I don't believe so. The first three blanks there on your notes, and I'll go through these. I just want to give you the answers because I'm going to be talking about them. But the first one is that home court advantage is real in basketball. The second one is that home court advantage does exist in churches today. And the third one is that home court advantage does not exist in the kingdom of God. And if you want to cross out that word does and put should, it should not exist in the kingdom of God. How can I say that? Guys, I I don't believe following Jesus depends on where you're at. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
I had a discussion with somebody this week, and it, a, a statement got brought up that I've heard more times than I can count. And it is the statement of, where will I grow the most? Talking about where you go to church. Okay, I've heard that statement for 30 years. I've thought about it. I've wrestled with it. And I, as I was talking with, 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 with this person about it, I, I had to make the statement. The problem with that statement is it's based on a lie. You know what that lie is? That it's easier or more advantageous to you to follow Jesus in one location versus another. In one church versus another. Now, I say that's a lie because when I look at my Bible, (laughs) and I especially look at the people of the Old Testament, I see God really didn't care too much about where a person was at when it came to them following Jesus or following Him. And you you look just a quick, a a few examples. You look at, you know, Joseph, uh, one of the, the primary characters in the book of Genesis. Big character, did big things for God. Nothing bad was said about him directly. But he spent 22 years isolated from his family, isolated from the people of God. 13 years he spent as a prisoner and a slave because his brothers hated him and sent him there, sold him as a slave. And yet at the end of the story, what's he say? He said, God put me here for a reason. God has him there. You look at Daniel, and I love his story too. You know, it matters where you are. Daniel was one of the, um, he's of the bloodline of the kings. He's royalty. And... Isaiah 39, it prophesies about the royalty. When Isaiah's talking to Hezekiah and he says, the, the Babylonians are going to come in, they're going to take, they're going to run you over, they're going to dispute you, and they're going to take your descendants, your, your young men, and they're going to make them eunuchs in Babylon. Y'all know what a eunuch is, right? That's a pretty bad circumstance, in my opinion. He was a slave. He was a servant of the king of Babylon for the, for the entire existence that we know of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what they were. Yet he was a powerful servant of God. His circumstances did not limit him from serving God. And guys, that's why I say home court advantage should not exist in the kingdom of God. If you are serious about following Jesus... Where you do that is not nearly as significant as what you do. And guys, look at this here in uh, these passages here in your notes. These are all from uh, the book of Acts, and I guess there's one in Matthew. These first two are Jesus uh, telling the apostles his instructions about what they should do after he's gone. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's he say? You're going to be witnesses for me, not just here in Jerusalem in your home court, but I'm sending you everywhere in the world. Matthew 28, he says the same thing. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when you go down in these passages in Acts, you see this taking place. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Everybody's scattered. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, guys, what you see going on is they go... God's put us on the road. Let's do what we do everywhere else. Is there an advantage to it? He's saying we're not going to be limited by where we're at. We're going to obey Jesus wherever we go. Then in Acts chapter 11, guys, you see see both sides of this. One of the things that you see, we talked about with home court advantage, is our comfort level. We talked about, you know, again, I talked about feedback with the teacher service in the back, and they'll just talk back to you. You ask a question, they'll, they'll talk back. And uh, I asked the question, why does, you know, does home court, you know, why does home court advantage exist in churches or with Christians? And uh, Barb Bader, 
uh, raise her hand. She says, uh, I'm sorry, Janet Bader. <laughs> Bob and Janet. Janet says, she didn't raise her hand, she just speaks. She goes, it's, it's, it's a matter of where we're comfortable. It's where we feel safe. And that's the truth of the matter. And guys, I believe this is what you see going on here. I'm, I'm making an assumption, but in Acts chapter 11, this is what it says. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now why are they spreading the word only among the Jews? Well, nobody had yet to this point spoken the word to the Greeks. And I believe there there was a lot of potential reasons for that. And one, I believe, it was just, it was comfortable and it was easier to do. You see, guys, when you go read through the book of Acts, and I hope, guys, if you, Tim, Tim encouraged or challenged you to be reading the book of Acts on your own, and I encourage you to do that over and over this year. We're going through a commentary on the book of Acts on our, on our small groups. And guys, I am challenged to read it again and again and again and looking at different things because God is opening my eyes to many different things. And one of the, one, there's several things that he opens my eyes to. But you think about when, when, when they go talk to the Jews, they talked about things such as the Messiah. Okay, And they proved from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. He was a Savior that had been prophesied. They knew He was coming. They knew what He was supposed to be like. I was looking at a website last night, Jews for Jesus. And there was, I'm not sure what it was all about, the 365 prophecies that were made in the Old Testament about Jesus, where were they were made and what, when they came true. And... Guys, the, if you go to, if you went to first century Judea and you asked a Jewish person, is there supposed to be a Messiah? They'd say, oh yeah. What's he supposed to be like? And they would tell you what he was supposed to be like. And so they were able to go to the Jewish people and go, Jesus was the Messiah. He was here. They were also able to go, another topic that was, they were very common was the resurrection. Now when I say the resurrection, Easter's next week, and most of the time when you hear about the resurrection, you probably think about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Okay? And just let me tell you, in the book of Acts, when it mentions the resurrection, it probably isn't talking about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. Of people who have died, and they're going to be resurrected at the end of time when God comes back to make things right. And you go to first, you go to first century, and this is proved because the Sadducees came to Jesus in Matthew 22, and they asked. They said, they asked him this this crazy story and, and about what happens at the resurrection. And Jesus says, "Well, you don't understand God, the, the Word of God, or the power of God." He says, "At the resurrection, this is what it'll be like." These Jews knew it. Now when they go to the Greeks, what happens? You go talking to the Greeks about the Messiah and they go, what? They, gotta, they go, oh, it was proven by the prophets. It was proven by Samuel and David. And he go, who? And then you start talking about people raising from the dead and they go, oh, come on now. That's what happens in Acts 17. It says, it says they were, that they, 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 when Paul went to Athens... It says that he, uh, he was speaking to them, and they said, we want to hear you more about this, because you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And then he, he says they were saying this specifically because he was talking about the resurrection of the dead. You see, guys, it was much easier to talk to Jewish people about these topics in the first century because they were aware of them. And if you look here, let's finish our verse. I know I stopped in the middle. to have my little sermon. I'm sorry. In verse 20, we pick it up. It says, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
The the Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Well, you see, guys, you see two different groups there. You see, I believe, the first group who they are having a home court advantage. They're limiting what they're going to do, and they're speaking only to the Jews. I'm speculating on why they did that. But I believe I'm accurate in saying it took more work. It was more uncomfortable to speak about these things. And then you find these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who they, they didn't see that limitation. And they went and talked to the Greeks. And what does it say? A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so guys, I want to offer to you today that as members of the kingdom, as you follow in Jesus, you should not have a home court advantage. You sh- a home court advantage is a limitation. And guys, we are serving the God of the universe, and He has no limitations. And guys, we need to reflect that in how we live and how we follow Jesus. And so I wanna, all I want to talk about today is four things about how do I avoid a home court advantage. You like that, Tim? <laughs> pretty slick turn wasn't it? <laughs> guys I don't believe we should have one the first thing you should do to avoid a home court advantage is you need to admit that I have a home court advantage I say that guys because it's very simple you won't change something you don't recognize if you don't look at yourself in the mirror in the morning you probably won't comb your hair simple principle right and guys, here's the thing. If, if, you should want to know if you have a home court advantage. Does anybody want to limit God's activity in their life? No. You need to want to know this. I've got this verse here from James 3 because I, I, I believe it just talks about admitting. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But... If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Admit it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Well, you see now, okay, you've got to admit it. Well, how do you know if you have a home court advantage? If you know that... If, how do you recognize? Okay, I want to admit it. How do I know if I have it? Good question. And guys, I'll give you an example for me. It's very simple. You know that you have a home court advantage. You, have, you, are, you are accepting a limitation. If there are circumstances, when those circumstances are changed, you can't do anything. Let me give you an example. This is the, the best example I have. This is me. Okay? This is based on how we used to do things how, and how... I interpreted them, okay? It wasn't all, was this church policy? Uh, no, okay? This, I'm, I'm, I'm taking full responsibility for this myself. And I'm going back 30 years when I talk about this. But there was a formula I followed when I reached out to people. And some of you are going to become familiar with this. Okay? It was number one, I was to start conversations with strangers. All right? We have had classes on how to start conversations with strangers. Secondly, I was to develop a friendship with this person. And again, we've had classes on how to develop friendships with people. And then, as I got to know them, or maybe I might do it in the initial conversation if the door was open, but I was going to invite them to something. Most likely it was a Bible talk, which is what we now call cross-chat. It may have been, been, been church uh, at a later time, it may have been a special event we were having, uh, but we were going to invite them to something. And uh, there was a time when the, the, pot, the, 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 the formula was you invite them to Bible talk and you don't really need to get them to church for a while. You know, don't try to get them there. Let's keep them on the informal level. Somewhere at the Bible talk or at the church service, 
you know, they would, the Bible talk was designed to, to let people see God in a more practical way and to create a, a hunger to seek Him. And then we would initiate with them a one-on-one Bible study and we would start studying the Bible with them. And we were taught, and we did this, you take these studies in a certain order. You don't want to talk about this before this. And if they wanted to talk about this, you tried to avoid it. It was a formula. And then later we'd get them to come to church, and after they studied the Bible, maybe they'd be baptized. And that was the formula. And guys, let me be very clear, okay? Studying the Bible one-on-one with somebody is a good thing. Okay? Bible talks that help create hunger in people are a good thing. Okay, I'm not condemning that. I want to be very clear about that. What I'm condemning was my approach because if somebody fell outside of that formula, I didn't know what to do. I was limited. You know, one of the things they talk about inviting. And you know, there were times where I said, well... I spoke these words and I've heard these words. I'd say, well, I would have invited them, but... But what? Does anybody know? I didn't have a card. I didn't have a card. What happened? I couldn't invite somebody without a card. I mean, the whole thing broke down. God may have just led me to somebody like the Ethiopian, like Phil, he did Philip the Ethiopian eunuch, and I didn't have a card. So the whole process, I couldn't sh- I'll tell him about Jesus. I can't. I don't have a card. You see, guys, I had a limitation. I had a home court advantage that, I, that was limiting God using me. And guys, I, I knew how to invite people. I knew to have conversations with people. I didn't know how to share my faith. Not in a real way. And guys, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about having a home court advantage and admitting that you're there. You see, you want to know if you have a home court advantage, if you have that type of thinking, if you're placing limitations on what God can do through you. All you've got to do is ask, if circumstances aren't right, what do I do? You know, if I met somebody that I thought was open to Jesus and they didn't live around here, I was lost. Because I couldn't get them here. And I thought they had to be here. That's how you know if you have a home court advantage. If you're placing a limitation on God. If things fall outside of the structure, outside of the formula. If the circumstances are different. You don't know what to do. You see, what happened in the book of Acts, like we just read about, is that this persecution broke out, and their circumstances changed dramatically. I mean, what they did, everybody in town, and it's estimated tens of thousands of followers of Jesus, were scattered. And it says they all preached the word wherever they went. See, guys, they didn't have limitations. So guys, I encourage you, that's the first thing if you want to not, if you want to avoid having a home court advantage is you've got to admit that you have one. Second thing is you need to examine, I need to examine my message. Huh? I need to examine my message. I love this passage in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing... And if you don't, if you're, if you don't know all the details of the Apostle Paul, that's fine. But he is credited by, uh, those outside of Christianity for Christianity not dying. His conversion, because he was a big wig in the Jewish political structure. And him becoming a Christian gave a lot of credibility. And him continuing to live it his whole life gave it credibility. And kept things rolling is what those the critics say. But this is what Paul has to say after he's, he's planted churches, after he's shared his faith, after he's baptized hundreds if not thousands of people. And this is what he says in Galatians chapter 2. Chapter two. He says, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting, excuse me, to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. 
Now catch this. He said, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. What is he saying? He goes, I wanted to make sure I was telling the right story. I wanted to make sure I was doing what the the guys that had spent three years with Jesus were doing. He was willing to examine because he wanted to make sure. He didn't want to waste his time. Have you ever felt like you've wasted your time trying to share Jesus? That your efforts were really misguided? I have. I have. And guys, that's it. You know, we're we're going through the book of Acts. And one of the things I'm amazed by, I found a a pattern starting in our Wednesday night group when we were going through through this. And it it happened two or three weeks in a row. And so finally I just said, guys, this is how we're going to start each week. And what it was, was each week I found myself asking the question, guys, are we like this? You know, we're reading about the first Christians. The very first church. And we're reading about what their lifestyle was like. And I had to ask the question, are we like this? Do we pray as much as they do? Do we pray and the building shakes? Do we live this shared life like they do where they say there's no needy people among them? Do we have people selling pieces of land, which let's, let's put it another way. Okay, uh, let's translate it. Do we have people cashing out their IRAs so that people won't be in need? Because that's what selling a piece of land was like for them. It was financial security. And we, and we look at this and we go, and we, we, we've talked about it over and over and over and, uh, on different topics. And we said, are we like this? And so we're going to open each week with a question. What did you see that we're not like, and how can we start being like them? And one of the things, guys, that, that comes up repeatedly, and, and one of the things I'm doing individually, is what did they share when they shared Jesus with people? What did they share? You see, I don't know about you, but we tend to fall into ruts. Somebody told, I heard somebody, I heard a man say one time that in order to be a movement of God, we had to all use the same terminology. You know, have the same word that meant the same thing for what we were doing. My only problem with that is I don't see that in the Bible. And let me, let me illustrate that for you guys. This isn't in your notes. It's not on the screen. If you want to jot these references down. Um, what this is, is this is just, a handful of ways that God has revealed to us that they shared the message and what they said or how, how they said it in the book of Acts. The first was in Acts chapter 5 and verse 20. And it's after uh, the apostles are in prison and the angel shows up, lets them out of prison, nobody knows about it. And this is what he tells them. He says, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Hmm, this new life. I've never used that terminology to describe me sharing, sharing my faith with somebody. I've never thought of it that way. Well, and here's an angel telling the apostles to do it, so I guess I better pay attention to that. The rest of these are in Acts chapter 8. It's in, in verse 4, it says, Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Does that describe your evangelistic activity, preaching the Word? I invited somebody. Verse verse 5, it says, Peter went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. You see, guys, proclaimed the Messiah. When I first look at that, and I have to ask myself, do, have I been proclaiming the Messiah? I have to ask myself, do I really have a thorough understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be? I'm guessing that's not an everyday conversation for most of us. Going on, it says, But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God... And the name of Jesus Christ. Again, 
The good news of the kingdom of God. Guys, I understand the kingdom of God today better than I ever did. Five years ago, you'd ask me, I'd say, it's the church. And I don't believe that the church is part of the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong. But the kingdom of God is supposed to be good news. What does that mean? I better know about the kingdom of God. I better know about it. Guys, that's why I'm saying we need to examine our message. Because we tend to be... Oh, let me, let me read these other two and then I'll tell you what we tend to be, okay? Verse 14 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. Verse 35, it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, guys, here's the way it is. I am an auto glass technician by trade. That means I install windshields and other pieces of auto glasses in cars. And there are certain characteristics about uh, windshield technicians that they have to go through. And I'm, I went through this process. It's exactly true. And basically, in a nutshell, it's this. If the experts at putting in auto glass tell, you, tell a technician there's 25 steps, he's going to do it in 15. Is that fair? We're going to cut it out. We're going to cut out steps. All you got to do, you, you talk to Tim or, or Danny or anybody else, and you talk about how many guys he's had to make take the cowling off of a car to put a windshield in. Why? Because we want to cut out steps. We want to do it faster. We want to do it quicker. We want to streamline. I mean, we're Americans. We want to do it efficiently. Can I tell you, I think we've done the same thing with the gospel. I have. I, I'm guilty, guys. And I'll just give you two topics that you look at in your message and ask you how much you talk about. One is the Messiah. How much do you understand what the Messiah was supposed to be all about and why it was such a big deal? I mean, Messiah just basically means Savior. I'm like, so yeah, Jesus is my Savior. He saves me from my sins. There's more to it than that. The other topic that I encourage you to really look at close, you look at the book of Acts, it's all over the place when we open our eyes, and that's the resurrection. What do you know of the resurrection and why it's a big deal? You see, guys, it was when you look at the book of Acts and what they talked about, the resurrection was all right in the middle of it. It was in the thick of it. In fact, you look at Acts 17, like I was referencing this earlier, and when Paul's in Athens, and they said, he said, some of them sneered when he talked about the resurrection of the dead. He's like, okay, <laughs> we like hearing new ideas around here, but you've just crossed the line. The resurrection of the dead? When's the last time you've studied the Bible and talked about the resurrection of the dead with somebody? Guys, I just, my, my whole point is we become with what we're familiar with, what we're comfortable with, and we don't, we, we leave it out. We leave it out. We're telling people they should follow Jesus, but it don't, may not sound like good news to them. Um, I, I've been told, I haven't seen this, I've been told there's a gentleman, Alton, and his, he, he, he has some belief in Jesus, apparently, and he wears a sandwich board up around Walgreens. You guys know about him? Yep. Turn or burn, is that the basic? Does he have that actual saying on there? Pretty harsh. Repent or you're going to hell? Is that? That's it. Yeah? Alan's told me he's wanted to stop by there and say, Is this good news? Is this good news, guys? We have to ask ourselves the question, Is what we're telling people about Jesus good news? Is it good news? Third thing, guys, if you want to avoid the home court advantage is live the life. Biggest limitation you can put on sharing Jesus is being a hypocrite. You tell need to tell people, this is how you should live, and then you don't live it. Live the life. I already, re I already read this, but in Acts 5.20... He says, go, go stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell the people all about this new life. You want to know how to tell people, how to best tell people about this new life? Live the life. Live the life. 
I had a uh, person at the car wash came through a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'll spare you the details because I know I'm going long here. Uh, and he was asking, he asked me where I went to church. I don't remember ever meeting the man before. I don't typically try to invite people as they go through the, the, the line. I do try to share Jesus if it comes up. In a, I mean, it's a very brief conversation. But I'm talking to the gentleman about his car. It has some scratches and he tells me how they got there. Starts talking about his son. And then he just out of the blue asks the question. Where do you go to church? Don't I go over here at Great Dalton's right behind us, airline drive, the dome? <laughs> and he, I don't know why. I'm going to follow up with the gentleman, but I want to know, why would you ask me that question? I'm hoping it's because he sees something different. I'm hoping that he sees something in my life. In these brief moments. He did tell me, because he was talking about his son and some of the struggles he's having, and he tells me, he says, seems like you got a pretty good one. He's talking about my son Jordan, the one not following Jesus, by the way, okay? He tell he tell seems like you got a pretty he does see something. Guys, how much easier is it gonna be to tell people about Jesus when they see us living the life? Okay. Um the little the, the bullet point under there, guys, is just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Basically, Jesus says you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. You want to put it more simply, you need to love God and you need to love people. This is about relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about religion. It's about loving God and loving people. That's what the life is. Guys, the last thing that I want to talk about here is start sharing now. Start sharing now. My daughter has a saying that she uses quite often. No, not quite. Regularly, let's put it that way. She's 18-year-old. She's a senior in high school. And she says, Dad, nobody wants to be that kid. You know, nobody wants to be that kid. You know, you don't want to stand out. I picked her up from track practice the other day, and I had a green 300-gallon fiberglass tank in the back of my truck. I almost texted her and said, yeah, that's me. Sorry, you're that kid. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to be that. No, teenagers don't want to be that kid that stands out, right? I mean, I think that's what it means. You don't want to be the kid that stands out. Can I tell you guys, if you're going to share the news, you're going to be the kid that stands out. And I want to encourage you to be the kid that stands out. Okay? Look at this passage here in Acts chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now check this out, guys. Okay, God tells him, yeah, Go down to this desert road. Okay, I'm not going to be anybody honest. That's why it's a desert road. Go down there. And then he sees a chariot and he says, now go up to it. Run alongside the chariot. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm a little concerned about people like that. I mean, somebody that knocks on your window at a, at a, at a stoplight. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to be that. Guys, that's what he tells him to do. What does he do? He does what God says to do. He does what follows the Holy Spirit. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. I mean, that happens to me all the time. You know, the kids are kind of used to it now, but, you know, we'd be on vacation or something and they'd point somebody out. I said, Let's go ask him about that. Let's go talk to him. Oh, God, Dad, no. Go talk. Yeah, I'm a chapel. So are you. That's what we do. Guys, we need to start sharing it right away. Live the life and share it. And you see, guys, I believe with all my heart, when I say nobody wants to be that kid, who's comfortable telling people, God told me to talk to you? Or who's even comfortable telling the members of your small group, God told me to speak to them? 
I see it all through the Bible where God spoke to people. God tells people things. So I, I'm, I've grown comfortable saying that. But typically if you hear, if you hear somebody say, God told me, the next word that comes to your mind is schizophrenic. No, I mean, that's our, that's our, that's our, guys, that's our world. I mean, you watch TV, you watch Criminal Minds, you watch Law and Order SVU, they start talking about somebody mentioning that God's talking to them, they go, Guys, I believe that if you're going to share the news, you've got to listen and obey the Holy Spirit. You see, because that's what's going on here with Philip. God tells him, you go, you, go, you go down to that road and the Spirit tells him, you go up to that chariot. And I don't know how many times you've ever had that. I, I, guys, it is amazing when you do it. And I'm going I'm to tell you two stories real quick. One was 35 years, 30 years ago. I'm at Lewis and Clark. I had just been serious for a few months about following Jesus. And there's a kid there that I recognized. I recognized him because he went to church in Brighton. And we went to youth rallies together. His dad was the preacher. Him and his brothers all looked alike. Okay? I mean, I couldn't tell you which one it was. They all looked, all had the same haircut, all parted on the same side. I thought of them as Smurfs, because they all looked alike. And I saw this guy, never spoken a word to him that I know of, and I, I felt, I felt, felt the urge, the nudge. The Holy Spirit saying, go up and talk to that guy. So I went over, I said, hey, hi, I'm, I'm Gary. I said, I believe you, I believe I know who you are. I don't remember what exactly I said, but we talked. Within five minutes, he tells me, Literally within a half hour before, he says, I was just praying for Christian friends. Wow. And I've told you this other story before, and I, I hate to tell it to you again, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But it was a few years ago, and Jonathan was with me, and we were putting a windshield over, in over in Pocahontas, Illinois, in an old truck. And the guy had a little bit of a hard story. And so I felt the urge, the nudge, to give the man a windshield. To let him have it for free. And I fought with it. Maybe I should just get half. You know, maybe just do it for half price. Cover my cost. He's got cash after all. And I go up to the man. I finally decide, I'm going to listen. I believe this is God speaking. I'm going to listen. And I tell the guy, there's no cost on the windshield. I've been through hard times. And Jesus is taking care of me. And I think he wants you to know he'll take care of you too. And the man starts crying. And he tells me about how they'd just been talking and praying about this. is all he told me. Three weeks later, I ran into him by accident again. I mean, literally, I'm driving down the road, and he's hanging out the window waving at me. And we pull over, and we stop and talk, and he says, I didn't believe in God till that day. Now, guys, those are amazing. So those are stories where I know I have listened to the Holy Spirit. I have done what I believe He wanted me to do, and you saw results. I hate telling that story, the last one again, because I know I've told it at least twice in here. And I wish I had more stories. Can I, can I tell you that? I, I want to have, have a story like that every week. Is that cool? And I'll be more honest with you. I want you all to have a story like that every week. Because that tells me as a group, we're being like the people we read about in the book of Acts, and we're not placing a limitation on God. We're listening to what He has to say. We're, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to be people who quench the Holy Spirit. Because I believe there are opportunities in front of every one of us every day of our lives to share Jesus in some way. And we don't see it. And I believe God wants us to. I believe God wants us to. Guys, I I just want to close this out. And guys, I I just want to encourage you. This is really a lesson that's about examining where you are. Too many times, you want to know, you want to know another limitation uh, that we can place on ourselves individually? Is we wait for somebody else to do it first. We wait for the church to examine our message 
And so change the studies so then I can change my message. We wait for the church to say it's okay to fall outside of the formula. We wait for our small group. Let's, let's do it together. I wanted to fast and pray and really seek God, but nobody else in my small group didn't want to do it, so I didn't do it. I wanted to help feed the poor, but nobody else in my group wanted to do it, so I didn't do it. Guys, this is a call for you to look at you. For you to ask yourself, do I place limitations on God working through me? And then to make some decisions. Guys, there's a card in your bulletin. If you want to fill that out, uh, you, may, you may have a prayer request. We do have people to pray about those every week. And we encourage you to do that. That may be a place that you start. It may be a place where you want to put notes down for yourself. Of what you want to walk away from here today and do. And you take that with you. Let's pray. And then there'll be singers will be back out to sing a couple songs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. And Father, just thank you for the chance to look at the fact that you do not want to be limited. And Father, I'm sorry to say, I am, I confess, I've been guilty of limiting you. Father, I limit you when I get caught up in all my own activities. I limit you when I just want to be comfortable. I limit you when I care too much about how I look and what people are going to think. I limit you when I consider the possibility of success. Father, I don't want to limit you. And Father, I don't want us to be a church that limits you. Father, I want to pray for stories right now. I want to pray for stories that are going to come out of the woodwork this week and continue to flow like a river. Because, Father, I want us to be a people who are serious about following you, serious about seeking you, and serious about obeying the Spirit's leading in our lives. Father, I, I have no idea how it's going to be. I can't even tell you how it's going to be. All i got to tell people is keep your eyes open and listen. Father, I will be amazed at what will happen when we do that. And I want to thank you for that in advance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.